Section 59 of Grey's Anatomy, Part 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Morgan Scorpion. Anatomy of the Human Body, Part 4 by Henry Grey. The Internal Ear or Labyrinth, Part 1. 1D4 the internal ear or labyrinth, oris interna. The internal ear is the essential part of the organ of hearing, receiving the ultimate distribution of the auditory nerve. It is called the labyrinth from the complexity of its shape, and consists of two parts. The osseous labyrinth, a series of cavities within the petrous part of the temporal bone, and the membranous labyrinth, a series of communicating membranous sacs and ducts contained within the bony cavities. The osseous labyrinth, labyrinthus osseus. The osseous labyrinth consists of three parts, the vestibule, semicircular canals, and cochlea. These are cavities hollowed out of the substance of the bone and lined by periosteum. They contain a clear fluid, the perilymph, in which the membranous labyrinth is situated. The vestibule, vestibulum. The vestibule is the central part of the osseous labyrinth, and is situated medial to the tympanic cavity, behind the cochlea, and in front of the semicircular canals. It is somewhat ovoid in shape, but flattened transversely. It measures about five millimetres from before backward, and the same from above downward, and about three millimetres across. In its lateral or tympanic wall is the fenestra vestibuli, closed in the fresh state by the base of the stapes and annular ligament. On the medial wall, at the forepart, is a small circular depression, the recessus sphericus, which is perforated, at its anterior and inferior part, by several minute holes, macula cribrosa media, for the passage of filaments of the acoustic nerve to the saccule, and behind this depression is an oblique ridge, the crista vestibuli, the anterior end of which is named the pyramid of the vestibule. This ridge bifurcates below to enclose a small depression, the fossa cochlearis, which is perforated by a number of holes for the passage of filaments of the acoustic nerve which supply the vestibular end of the ductus cochlearis. At the hinder part of the medial wall is the orifice of the aqueductus vestibuli, which extends to the posterior surface of the petrous portion of the temporal bone. It transmits a small vein and contains a tubular prolongation of the membranous labyrinth, the ductus endolymphaticus, which ends in a cul-de-sac between the layers of the dura mater within the cranial cavity. On the upper wall or roof is a transversely oval depression, the recessus ellipticus, separated from the recessus sphericus by the crista vestibuli already mentioned. The pyramid and adjoining part of the recessus ellipticus are perforated by a number of holes, macula cribrosa superior. The apertures in the pyramid transmit the nerves to the utricle those in the recessus ellipticus the nerves to the ampullae of the superior and lateral semicircular ducts. Behind are the five orifices of the semicircular canals. In front is an elliptical opening which communicates with the skull of vestibuli of the cochlea. The bony semicircular canals, canales semicircularis ossei. The bony semicircular canals are three in number, superior, posterior and lateral and are situated above and behind the vestibule. They are unequal in length, compressed from side to side, 
and each describes the greater part of a circle. Each measures about 0.8 mm in diameter, and presents a dilation at one end, called the ampulla, which measures more than twice the diameter of the tube. They open into the vestibule by five orifices, one of the apertures being common to two of the canals. The superior semicircular canal, canalis semicircularis superior, 15 to 20 mm in length, is vertical in direction, and is placed transversely to the long axis of the petrous portion of the temporal bone, on the anterior surface of which its arch forms a round projection. It describes about two-thirds of a circle. Its lateral extremity is ampulated, and opens into the upper part of the vestibule. The opposite end joins with the upper part of the posterior canal to form the crus commune, which opens into the upper and medial part of the vestibule. The posterior semicircular canal, canalis semicircularis posterior, also vertical, is directed backward, nearly parallel to the posterior surface of the petrous bone. It is the longest of the three, measuring from 18 to 22 millimetres. Its lower or ampullated end opens into the lower and back part of the vestibule, its upper into the cross commune already mentioned. The lateral or horizontal canal, canalis semicircularis lateralis, external semicircular canal, is the shortest of the three. It measures from 12 to 15 millimetres, and its arch is directed horizontally backward and lateralward. Thus each semicircular canal stands at right angles to the other two. Its ampulated end corresponds to the upper and lateral angle of the vestibule, just above the fenestra vestibuli, where it opens close to the ampulated end of the superior canal. Its opposite end opens at the upper and back part of the vestibule. The lateral canal of one ear is very nearly in the same plane as that of the other, while the superior canal of one ear is nearly parallel to the posterior canal of the other. The cochlea The cochlea bears some resemblance to a common snail shell. It forms the anterior part of the labyrinth, is conical in form, and placed almost horizontally in front of the vestibule. Its apex, cupula, is directed forward and lateralward, with a slight inclination downward, toward the upper and front part of the labyrinthic wall of the tympanic cavity. Its base corresponds with the bottom of the internal acoustic meatus, and is perforated by numerous apertures for the passage of the cochlear division of the acoustic nerve. It measures about 5 mm from base to apex, and its breadth across the base is about 9 mm. It consists of a conical-shaped central axis, the modiolus, of a canal, the inner wall of which is formed by the central axis, wound spirally around it for two turns and three quarters. From the base to the apex, and of a delicate lamina, the osseous spiral lamina, which projects from the modiolus, and, following the windings of the canal, partially subdivides it into two. In the recent state a membrane, the basilar membrane, stretches from the free border of this lamina to the outer wall of the bony cochlea and completely separates the canal into two passages, which, however, communicate with each other at the apex of the modiolus by a small opening named the helicotrema. The modiolus is the conical central axis, or pillar, of the cochlea. Its base is broad and appears at the bottom of the internal acoustic meatus, where it corresponds with the area cochleae. It is perforated by numerous orifices which transmit filaments of the cochlear division of the acoustic nerve. The nerves of the first tone and a half pass through the foramina of the tractus spiralis foraminosus, those for the apical tone through the foramen centrale. 
The canals of the Tractus Spiralis Foraminosus pass up through the Modiolus and successively bend outwards to reach the attached margin of the Lamina Spiralis Ossea. Here they become enlarged, and by their apposition form the spiral canal of the Modiolus, which follows the course of the attached margin of the osseous spiral lamina and lodges the spiral ganglion, ganglion of corti. The foramen centrale is continued into a canal which runs up the middle of the Modiolus to its apex. The Modiolus diminishes rapidly in size in the second and succeeding coil. The bony canal of the cochlea takes two turns and three quarters around the Modiolus. It is about 30 millimeters in length and diminishes gradually in diameter from the base to the summit, where it terminates in the cupula which forms the apex of the cochlea. The beginning of this canal is about 3 millimeters in diameter. It diverges from the modiolus toward the tympanic cavity and vestibule and presents three openings. 1. The fenestra cochlei communicates with the tympanic cavity. In the fresh state this aperture is closed by the secondary tympanic membrane. Another of an elliptical form opens into the vestibule. The third is the aperture of the aqueductus cochlei, leading to a minute funnel-shaped canal which opens on the inferior surface of the petrous part of the temporal bone and transmits a small vein, and also forms a communication between the subarachnoid cavity and the scala tympani. The osseous spiral lamina, lamina spiralis ossea, is a bony shelf or ledge which projects from the modiolus into the interior of the canal and, like the canal, takes two and three-quarter turns around the modiolus. It reaches about halfway toward the outer wall of the tube and partially divides its cavity into two passages or scalae, of which the upper is named the scala vestibuli, while the lower is termed the scala tympani. Near the summit of the cochlea, the lamina ends in a hook-shaped process, the hamulus laminae spiralis. This assists in forming the boundary of the small opening, the helicotrema, through which the two scalae communicate with each other. From the spiral canal of the modiolus, numerous canals pass outward through the osseous spiral lamina as far as its free edge. In the lower part of the first turn, a second bony lamina, the secondary spiral lamina, projects inward from the outer wall of the bony tube. It does not, however, reach the primary osseous spiral lamina, so that if viewed from the vestibule, a narrow fissure, the vestibule fissure, is seen between them. The osseous labyrinth is lined by an exceedingly thin, fibrous serous membrane. Its attached surface is rough and fibrous, and closely adherent to the bone. Its free surface is smooth and pale, covered with a layer of epithelium, and secretes a thin, limpid fluid, the perilymph. A delicate tubular process of this membrane is prolonged along the aqueduct of the cochlea to the inner surface of the dura mater. The membranous labyrinth Labyrinthus membranaceus. The membranous labyrinth is lodged within the bony cavities just described, and has the same general form as these. It is, however, considerably smaller, and is partly separated from the bony walls by a quantity of fluid, the perilymph. In certain places it is fixed to the walls of the cavity. The membranous labyrinth contains fluid, the endolymph, and on its walls the ramifications of the acoustic nerve are distributed. Within the osseous vestibule, the membranous labyrinth does not quite preserve the form of the bony cavity, but consists of two membranous sacs, the utricle and the saccule. The utricle, utriculus. The utricle, the larger of the two, is of an oblong form, compressed transversely, and occupies the upper and back part of the vestibule. 
lying in contact with the recessus ellipticus and the part below it. That portion which is lodged in the recess forms a sort of pouch or cul-de-sac, the floor and anterior wall of which are thickened, and form the macula acoustica utriculi, which receives the utricular filaments of the acoustic nerve. The cavity of the utricle communicates behind with the semicircular ducts by five orifices. From its anterior wall is given off the ductus utriculosacularis, which opens into the ductus endolymphaticus. The saccule, sacculus. The saccule is the smaller of the two vestibular sacs. It is globular in form and lies in the recessus sphericus near the opening of the scala vestibuli of the cochlea. Its anterior part exhibits an oval thickening, the macula acoustica sacculi, to which are distributed the saccular filaments of the acoustic nerve. Its cavity does not directly communicate with that of the utricle. From the posterior wall a canal, the ductus endolymphaticus, is given off. This duct is joined by the ductus utriculosacularis, and then passes along the aqueductus vestibuli and ends in a blind pouch, saccus endolymphaticus, on the posterior surface of the petrous portion of the temporal bone, where it is in contact with the dura mater. From the lower part of the saccule a short tube, the canalis reuniens of Henson, passes downward and opens into the ductus cochlearis nearest vestibular extremity. The semicircular ducts, ductus semicircularis, membranous semicircular canals. The semicircular ducts are about one-fourth of the diameter of the osseous canals, but in number, shape, and general form they are precisely similar, and each presents at one end an ampulla. They open by five orifices into the utricle, one opening being common to the medial end of the superior and the upper end of the posterior duct. In the ampullae the wall is thickened and projects into the cavity as a fiddle-shaped, transversely placed elevation, the septum transversum, in which the nerves end. The utricle, saccule, and semicircular ducts are held in position by numerous fibrous bands which stretch across the space between them and the bony walls. Structure The walls of the utricle, saccule, and semicircular ducts consist of three layers. The outer layer is a loose and flocculent structure, apparently composed of ordinary fibrous tissue containing blood vessels and some pigment cells. The middle layer, thicker and more transparent, forms a homogeneous membrana propria, and presents on its internal surface, especially in the semicircular ducts, numerous papilliform projections, which, on the addition of acetic acid, exhibit an appearance of longitudinal fibrillation. The inner layer is formed of polygonal nucleated epithelial cells. In the maculae of the utricle and saccule, and in the transverse septa of the ampullae of the semicircular ducts, the middle coat is thickened, and the epithelium is columnar, and consists of supporting cells and hair cells. The former are fusiform, and their deep ends are attached to the membrana propria, while their free extremities are united to form a thin cuticle. The hair cells are flask-shaped, and their deep, rounded ends do not reach the membrana propria, but lie between the supporting cells. The deep part of each contains a large nucleus, while its more superficial part is granular and pigmented. The free end is surmounted by a long, tapering, hair-like filament which projects into the cavity. The filaments of the acoustic nerve enter these parts, and having pierced the outer and middle layers, they lose their medullary sheaths, and their axis cylinders ramify between the hair cells. 
Two rounded bodies, termed otoconia, each consisting of a mass of minute crystalline grains of carbonate of lime, held together in a mesh of gelatinous tissue, are suspended in the endolymph in contact with the free ends of the hairs projecting from the maculae. According to Bowman, a calcareous material is also sparingly scattered in the cells lining the ampullae of the semicircular ducts. End of section 59